Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Why It Matters. I'm Tracy Kronzak, joined by my always stalwart companion, Tim. Hey, everybody. <laughs> we will never get that handoff, right? Uh, I don't think so. It's the most awkward part of every show, and it's just kind of like, it's how we roll. We Tim roll grits awkward. his teeth and moves through it. And, hey, here, here I am, stalwart, still can't remember what that means. Steadfast, reliable, yeah, loyal, know, helpful, time, friendly, every courteous. Time, every time you, know. you reintroduce the definition. So. I'm going to start changing the definitions in the future is what I'm going to do. When I, okay, I'm just going to say, when I hear the word stalwart, I think of a toadstool every time. That's So I feel like I'm the toadstool companion every time I hear that. So now you've got that. You, can, you and I can both think that. Uh, I think donkey, but okay, now toadstool. All right, well, there we go. So moving right along. Moving forward. Um, folks, we are ecstatic to have at least from my world, a longtime friend and co-collaborator and co-instigator, uh, someone whom I've known through a number of circles, including my time in Salesforce Landia and affiliated with the nonprofit technology network, Ruben Singh. Uh, there's a lot I could say to introduce Ruben, but in fine tradition of why it matters, I want to turn it over to you, Ruben, to introduce you and talk a little bit about you know who you are and where you are today. Oh, sounds good. Well, thank you, Tracy. Thank you, Tim. Um, I've been a big fan of the uh, podcast here, so it's a real real privilege to be here. So thank you for having me. Um, uh, who, who am I? I? I'm a serial volunteer, first and foremost, and, and uh, that, that's uh, really where I found myself in this space. Um, just uh, uh, love learning about different causes, different nonprofits, different organizations to work with, um, and uh, really th throughout my life, uh, really just poured myself into volunteer work. Um, and, uh, you know, when it came time to pursuing a career, it was very important to me to see, you know, where, you know, what's the right space for me, you know, it, and there was lots of different options I, I could choose from. Uh, and in parallel, had a, had a great interest in technology and what technology can offer. Um, and so I've just been very fortunate to be able to, to bring those two worlds together and, and um, you know, see how we can, uh, we can use technology um, and all the things that surround it to help move missions forward. Um, so that's, that's who I am. And, and I'm, I'm very fortunate to be uh, running a, a, a small consulting firm called One Tenth Consulting. Um, and we help organizations with uh, everything from you know, implementation of their nonprofit technology, but also all the things that surround it, the change management, the training, the strategy, you know, even if it's, you know, fundraising strategy, uh, all the way through the end to, to making sure that they're, they're successful for the long term. So, so those are some of the things that we do at one tenth. And, um, yeah, so that's a little bit about who I am and, and, uh, and, and, uh, just really excited for today's conversation. Thanks, Urban. I, I think one of the areas I want to dig immediately into is, uh, connected to something that's also very, very important to us at Now It Matters, but also the last time I kind of intersected with you. Yeah. And Ruben and I were both uh, volunteers on a project that took place, who was that sort of like throughout 2019 or 2019 into 2020, right before around the start of the pandemic, right. working with Nonprofit Technology Network, N10, uh, I didn't know this, but N10 is now just N10. It's yeah. like, that's it. 
uh, it. it's like Madonna. Uh, but, uh, thank Amy. I'll get a note from Amy on that one. (laughs) But, uh, you know, Ruben and I were both involved in a project that was looking at equity in technology and trying to create an equity guide for technology that N10 has since released that really covered three facets, uh, maybe four, but three that I can think of. One is when nonprofits use technology, how is it more equitably used? Uh, when people create technology for nonprofits, how is that technology best created? And as a subset of that, when nonprofits are serviced by technology or technology providers, how is that technology most equitably bolted into how an organization works? respects the nonprofit ecosystem and ultimately equitably sold and moved forward. So that was a really fun endeavor. Uh, It had a pile of us who I think had a range of political ideologies and experiences. Uh, Occasionally, Tracy would have to mute themselves and say things like, I don't know how realistic that is. Um, but it was fun and it produced something I think of real value to the ecosystem. And Ruben, since then you've gone on to continue to present on these topics. And I would love to know like how you were brought into that uh, and why that became part of your serial volunteering as it were. Well, well that's funny. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And, and um... It, it, it's uh, it's interesting because in a lot of the work that I did, you know, growing up and you know community organizing and um, and and such, um, a lot of that work was focused on equity work and and you know whether it's racial equity, um, civil rights work, human rights work uh, that I've been involved in, um, but for whatever reason I, I kept that all pretty private. You know, I never really found a way to intersect mm-hmm. that with my with my work. Um, and you know, perhaps it's just kind of getting into the, the consulting world and just kind of following, uh, finding ways to climb the ropes. And, and I, I never really found a good way to, uh, to sort of bring those principles into my work. Uh, I just was really focusing on, you know, looking around, looking at my mentors around me and saying, okay, this is the way you, you climb, <laughs> you know, you, 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 you build the clients and you, you do the work, you stay on time, you stay on budget and you keep moving. Um, but I think uh, that's been one of the beauties of, of starting something on my own is, um, you know, as, as you know, like as, you're, as an entrepreneur and when you're trying to build something, uh, your, your, um, your principles, you, you can't hide them, right? <laughs> you know, it, it has to come, come out in the work that you do. And, and it's really given me an opportunity to take that, that passion for equity work um, and not just you know stop hiding it, but actually making it part of, of what we offer and really putting it out there and, and, and making sure that anyone who wants to work with us knows that this is what we value. Um, and, and we hope that you know, if you're gonna work with us, you value it too. Um, so so it's, it's allowed me to really kind of uh, open up and, and, and I've really taken advantage of all the opportunities I've can to participate in these, in these uh, conversations about equity um, in this space. Uh, what was unique about the N10 work that you and I worked on and putting that tech equity guide together was there would be so many things throughout my years of consulting where I would, you know, something would happen and, and I would say, hmm, hmm. you know, like, 
that, that doesn't feel right. You know, like the way yep. pricing happened, the way, the way we built product or the interaction with a client and, and you know, something, you know, this just doesn't feel right. But I, I would kind of suppress that and move on. But then when you and I and the other people kind of sat in that room and we started talking about things, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not the only one who's also thought these things were odd or wrong or unethical or, um, you know, so, so that was um, really just reaffirming to, to know that there's a problem. There, there are some systemic problems in this space. Uh, and, you know, we, we often, I often think that, oh, you know, we're, we're these nonprofit technologists, so we're, we're just part of the solution, but that's not the case. Sometimes we're perpetuating the problem. I've perpetuated the problem. Um, so, so I think, uh, you know, the work that, that uh, this, this type of work has allowed me to uh, reflect a little bit on some of the things that um, I've done and that, you know, I've seen, uh, correct that, and then advocate for a broader correction in the ecosystem. That, what does that look like? I mean, I'm, that is really interesting. And I'm like, I think I might know examples of what you're talking about, but, you know, to the degree that it can be public, what, what were some of those areas for you? What were some of the touch points? Yeah, you know, good question. I mean, I think some of the examples that I often give is, um, you know, and, and this is a very common one where you walk into an implementation and you say, okay, well, um, what are the, the different business units and organ, you know, people in the organization that we're gonna talk to to gather the requirements? And you often hear, well, and, and this surely happens a lot, oh, we don't have time to meet with everybody. You know, you're gonna mm -hmm. meet with IT mm -hmm. and IT is gonna run this for you. This is our quickest way to get from point A to point B. We don't have the budget or the time to talk to everybody. And you know, in, in the past, I kind of looked at it as a budgetary issue. So I just leave it alone. Now I don't do that. You know, I say, I'm not going to do a project that's run solely by IT. Um, that's just not, you know, I, I see the intersection um, between everybody who touches this system, everybody who touches this system, whether it's, you know, they bring so much diversity to the table, whether it's race, ethnicity, ability, experience, um, you name it, every possible type of way um, that, that people's different experiences will interact with this product, that it would be a disservice for me to sit here and ignore all of that. Um, to ignore, ignore all of those voices that belong at this table. Um, so, so, so I'm much more, I would much more push for a more diverse group, not just in terms of, uh, you know, where people sit on the, the organizational hierarchy, but, but you know, who they are um, and uh, their experience, a level of comfort with technology, you name it. I want as many different people representing different ideas to the table and participating in this, especially like if we think of, um, external users. You know, I was, when I was trying to find a, a COVID vaccine appointment for my parents, I realized, my gosh, this system is not set up for immigrants. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it's like this multi, multi pages of thing of, of uh, at least where we live, um, where you just, you can't save your way through a form. There's lots of information. If you find out you don't have something and have to go back to something, it, it's very cumbersome. So here you have the government saying, get vaccinated, get vaccinated, but you're making it. And, and, you know, people of color are not getting themselves vaccinated. Well, here you have a system that really hasn't thought about how immigrants in, in, integrate uh, or interact with technology. So, so I think um, you could be doing a real disservice uh, by not really having the right people when you're designing the technology. Um, I mean, I think it's one, another example, a very specific one is, um, you know, I was working with an organization very interestingly, um, had a very strong uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, um, uh, you know, uh, perspective, and I appreciated it. And uh, they said that, you know, the work that we do, the volunteers that we bring in, they, they are historically have been majority white, and we want to change that. We want to bring in more representation. And um, you know, they, they had, they brought in a lot of volunteers and it was through an application process and they asked me to build this algorithm. And I said to them, I said, well, you know, just kind of thinking this through, 
this algorithm that you have <laughs> is not going to help your diversity problem. I mean, it's, it's very strict based on years of experience and so on and so forth. And uh, they said, and then long story short, it was, hey, just shut up and code. <laughs> and, um, and, and so I, you know, before I would have done just that, but not anymore. I said, well, you know, I don't, it's not really what I believe in, you know, if, 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 if and, and um, you know, here's what I think you should do, but, but building something like this uh, would perpetuate the problems that you have noticed and I have noticed. And so I can't kind of sit there and do it quietly. So, you know, maybe as a better consultant for you. Um, so, so those are some just practical examples that I've run through uh, in, in recent projects. There's... There might be more willing consultant. I don't know if it was better. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, I choose that word carefully there. Um, you know, I gave a, a talk on implicit bias in system design. Um, and the whole point of system design is to capture the majority use cases, right? So, but exactly. like you're already like the first step, you're already there. So it's just, yeah, thanks for, thanks for, I, it's so weird. I have such a hard time connecting some of that. Um, and so the examples really help. Yeah, there's uh, so much to like unpick in everything that you just said. Like, I'm like, where do I want to start with this? I mean, I think yeah. there are two things that occur to me as you're talking. I think one, that sort of last statement that you ended with, and that was, can you just please shut up and code? Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that's true about the IT world that we all inhabit that has been discussed a lot is that it's supposedly a meritocracy, right? And the problem, of course, with the meritocracy is that it's blind to how people actually accomplish work and what are the external factors that prevent them from creating those accomplishments in the first place. And when you look at aggregate meritocracy, it almost always skews white and male because obviously those are the folks who have the best ability to perform when performance matters. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, one of the discussions I had with a colleague recently was, if one thing came out of the pandemic, I would hope it is a global education around what it means for anybody to have a crushing externality imposed on their life where they previously never had one. Mm. And can we please relate that to the experience of non-white, non-male folks in sure. technology? And I think that's kind of at the crux of what I you know, saw in that statement. The question I have for you is because we both worked on the same guide mm -hmm. and I sincerely believed and wanted that guide to sort of revolutionize how everyone looked at nonprofit technology. And I don't feel like it has um, because what it says is so important. And I want to know, like, do you read that the same way? Am I reading that wrong? Like what, why, why, like why from your side of the equation? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. I, I didn't feel it. It took off the way I hoped it would. Um, but use the word. I think I heard you just use the word revolutionize, and and uh, <laughs> I, it, it, I, I'm a big studier, uh, I'm a student of revolutionaries. And one thing I've learned about revolutionaries is it's never one thing. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the 
the, the greatest revolutionary moments uh, happened years and years, years before it ever hit, you know, hit the public, the public with small things of people sitting together and figuring out where do we start. And so I, I'm, I, I feel like that work that we put together in publishing that guide was, was a first step. And then the next step is going to say, hey, well, there's this document there. Let's use that as a starting point. So, so while it didn't take off maybe the way I hoped, it's, um, I, I definitely believe it's going to be a stepping stone to the, the next bigger thing that catches on. Yeah, I mean, that's one a great thought way of looking on that at it. Is that um, when you know, and I was just looking at the uh, the notes that um, Tag put out, Technology Association of Grantmakers that just put up. They have this honeycomb model, and equities on it. Yeah, and it is uh, you know, I don't think that's accidental because uh, N10 was at the table when they were making that, right. and so I just want to, I do want to say like those voices, those small things, like they, uh, I could not agree with you more Ruben that it is small steps for a long time, yeah. you know, before, you know, the overnight change happens. Yeah, um, yeah. Absolutely. So um, that said, it is actually interesting to know, like it raises for me, and if you've studied revolutionary, um, you know, revolutionaries in revolutions, what so what's the other option so things are going to change because of economics or going to change because of revolution like what are the other mechanisms for change yeah. right like <laughs> yeah yeah you know and it was something I was, I was thinking about that um it's it's funny like we're talking a lot about these these equity issues and, and trying to convince uh you know some of the large technology companies how important it is but interestingly enough, I the last I, I often get involved in selection processes where I'm, you know, representing the nonprofit or I'm I'm a, a sort of the, the intermediary between uh, the nonprofit and the vendors that they're selecting, and um, I it, it's been you know consistent on the last three or four selection processes I've been on, where the vendor says, okay, all this tech, uh, technology or the nonprofit, excuse me, says you know all of this is great, but um, you know, what is your stance on, you know, what is, what, what are you as an organization doing from a diversity, equity, inclusion perspective? What type of training is your staff going through? How do you implement some of these things into your implementation? If we hire you, what kind of, what, what will be different uh, that you will offer us from a DEI perspective? I didn't hear that last year. I, I didn't hear that the year before. Um, and sometimes it is a, a group of white men and women who are uh, uh, representing the nonprofit asking these questions. So, you know, oftentimes when I sit with, you know, in, in the, the committees that I'm on, I say, look, you don't have to take my word for some of these things. Your clients are going to start asking for this. Um, and, and that to me is very promising uh, because, because uh, you know, right or wrong, um, when, it, when it is a matter of, of uh, uh, the economics involved and, and who gets the deal and who doesn't get the deal, um, you know, I, I think uh, a lot of the, the, the partners and, and vendors in place are going to realize that this is important to the customers that they're trying to serve. It is also starting to show up on RFPs. For sure. Um, and, you know, like, okay, like, what is your, <laughs> like, what is your no. composition of staff and what is, you know, uh, what's your ownership structure? And yeah. ours, you know, right now it matters 100% white male. And all the other allyship work doesn't factor in, and mm -hmm. I, I I'm there for that. Like I yeah, think yeah. that is great. I I don't know if we lose deals because of that. Sometimes, if we do, fine. I think that that is actually what needs to happen. So, I do agree that there is a shift on mm -hmm. on multiple places for that. I will also say the questions are getting 
less obtuse okay. and, and better about that. And I think that that's important as well. Um, it it so. is. And it, it's funny you say it about the RFPs. I actually do it from the other uh, perspective that when I said, whether it's in the RFP or not, I would submit that as part of my proposal. And so, and, and Tracy, back to the, to the tech equity document, I say, hey, look, I, I link the document in my proposal and I say, this is what we stand by. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> oh, that <laughs> so, is. Until other people do it, I'm going to do it. Sorry, <laughs> and, taking note right now on by. our RFP template. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, because here's the thing, what I wanted to come from that process so very badly that, that I think it's just, you know, to your point, a matter of time. Um, what I wanted was I wanted to see huge platforms that I know well and work with well and like a lot. And I'm not going to name any names because I work with a lot of platforms now. Yeah. Like I do. That's been my career since 2019 is broadening out of Salesforce Landia and into sort of I don't know, what is it? Like polyamory, polymorphous, polymorphism. I don't know. But like, I wanted to see these platforms be like, yes, we've been waiting for this. This is how we should talk to our customers. This is what our customers are asking for. And, and there were a few nods, but it wasn't like cricket, you know, besides that, it was like crickets is what I'm trying to say. And that made me a little sad, I have to say, but you know, maybe it is just a matter of time. I, and I think we're also, uh, or I'm a little spoiled working with N10, who I think is just yeah. far, far beyond where everybody is. I mean, I was yeah. just, on a, I was just asked to participate in a panel recently and this organization said, you know, we're trying something new. We're going to try to not have a panel with all men. I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that's a thing. Where, where have you been? So I think I've been spoiled over the years of just, you know, uh, with an organization like N10 that has, has been so far ahead of, of everyone else um, that it's just going to be a little slower for everyone else to catch up. Yeah. Do you feel that, I mean, so one of the things that I actually don't know legit about one tenth consulting, is it just you or do you have a staff or... Yeah. Um, we, we do have a staff. I am the, I am the full-time employee. And then we have a staff of uh, consultants uh, that work with me all in subcontractor roles. Um, so, which has been, uh, so, so it's a team of subcontractors as well as an offshore team that helps us with development and data migrations. Um, and, you know, it's, a, it's an unconventional model, but it's worked really well for us because it's allowed us to take, and we make a, we, we have a point to taking on very specific number of projects that we know we can do. And it allows me to bring in the right resources for the right, pre, the right project. Um, yet, yet at the same time, we don't have too many capacity issues because we also have the offshore team. So it's a bit of an unconventional model, but what I like about it is um, it does allow us to be a little bit more affordable because we, we have less overhead. Um, and it also, um, working with subcontractors has allowed us to have the flexibility to work the way nonprofits need us to work. So I'm working, I'm working with an organization right now that says, oh, you know, we're going into our gala. Um, you know, we have to prepare for our summer gala here, like for three weeks, four weeks, we just can't do anything. Well, for a large consulting company, that's very hard to do to just pull all your resources off. And then a month later, pull everybody back on again. And we say, oh yeah, no problem. No problem. We'll just pause and then we'll just come back to it. And it allows us to be a little bit more flexible and work the way, you know, nonprofits need us to work with them. And we're not trying to force them down a path, um, you know, where, where they're not prepared and make bad decisions. So, um, so yeah, that's our structure and kind of uh, how it's worked for us. Um, you know, I've thought about how to scale that, but we haven't quite, uh, you know, we're still kind of figuring out the right, the right time to, to scale bigger. <laughs> 
Well, tactically, I mean, and then the reason where I'm leading you to is, is mm -hmm. I kind of have like this question of like, so tactically, you know, the thing that we all struggle with as businesses is like, mm -hmm. you know, you hear the same stuff. You're like pipeline, education, yeah. access, yada, yada, right? Um, I'm going to use a term and you are free to back me away from it because I think the term is very American centric when I use it. But I, you know, I will say, you know, Ruben, you're one of the very few business owners of color, founders of color whom I know, period. So there's two things there. One is you can back me away from of color because I know enough to know that that phrase implies a very specific American experience in this context. Mm -hmm. And you are actually coming from also an Indian Sikh experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and then secondly, like, so now you are representing you and you're representing your business, like what are the tactical things that that means for you when you're looking at scaling and hiring? Um, wow, it, it, it's, it's interesting because it's been a very different experience um, uh, prior to starting 110th and previous, uh, you know, being a, a sick Punjabi American. Um, it's, you know, when I was working for most of my career, it, it was interesting that, that no matter uh, where I was in the in the organizational hierarchy, even if I was the lead consultant and I had a team of of other people with me, juniors, interns, what have you, um, when I would walk into the client the first day, they would never look at me as the person in charge. Oh, <laughs> wow. yeah. I, I mean, at most, I am I am the techie. I'm the the lead developer at, at most. But um, even if I was the most experienced person in the room. You know, all questions would be directed to you know the interns or the, or the more junior research. Like they oh just gosh. couldn't wrap. And, and I don't even think it's you know kind of back to what you were saying Tim, about the implicit bias. I don't think it was purposeful or whatever. But but you know, and, and that's something that you know people of color often you know find themselves as they have to they have to prove themselves in order just to just be you know looked at as the leader in the room or the the expert in the room. And so as a consultant, that's something I struggled a lot with. That I felt like I had to pitch my case. It had to be crisp. It had to be perfect. It had to be, you know, exactly right. Um, you know, it, I, I had to ex you prepare a lot ahead of time. I had to know all my stuff like better than anybody and study cram the night before a client engagement, just so I can prove that I should be at the table. Um, and uh, so, so that, that uh, um, was, can be a lot, uh, you know, and, and sometimes when I sit in these racial affinity groups, I realize I'm not the only person who has experienced that. Um, but I would say, you know, as I've kind of, you know, maybe gotten a little older and got a little bit more comfortable in my shoes uh, and now being in this case where, you know, owning a business and being able to hire people, um, I, I think it, it actually resonates with a lot of folks, you know, and, and, you know, people of color have reached out to me and said, I'd like to work for you. You know, I, I want to, you know, I, I, this is the kind of mentorship I, I want as part of my career, not just to, you know, put Salesforce in places or CRM tools in places, but, you know, I'm, I'm looking for your mentorship. So um, that's been actually very rewarding um, to, to, to uh, you know, play some role where I can hire folks who may not have been hired otherwise or mentor folks who have been in similar situations as me. Um, that part has been very rewarding for yeah. sure. I'm going to just say, yeah, that <laughs> that need to be proven before you, you, you know, like that keeps you up at night. Like I, I have my own version of that drawn sure. from my own experience in this world. I know how that feels mm -hmm. from my own lens. 
Um, I think what's fascinating and a little bit funny to me is, um, you know, I've always like known you as just Ruben and I'm like, oh, like you stick around in this business long enough, you get a sense for like, who's talking bullshit and who's talking real. And like, every time I talk to you, you're like, well, this is what it looks like. This is what it is. And I'm like, okay, like this is someone who like, doesn't actually need to prove their validity to me, but it's because I've been like trained to listen for very specific things and responses in that context. Right. Um, I think the other thing that I was thinking about as you were talking was, you know, when we sort of, move forward in this world, however that's gonna look. I think the thing that we have to be really cognizant about not leaving behind is the idea that, you know, we're doing all this implicit bias stuff for a reason, right? And I think it gets really connected to a shame cycle for folks. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I have implicit bias and I feel shame about that. And I'm never gonna talk about that again, cause you know, because, you know, shame. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's so much easier to be like, yeah, I feel a ton of shame about that, but we're going to go into it, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, what, what does this look like in two years and five years? Are we going to get there by your opinion? I, I don't know. Um, you know, sometimes I, I think, uh, you know, we, we have, you know, sort of broadly speaking outside of the technology network, I, there, there are days where I, I think that we as a, as a community, as a nation, you know, we've, we've moved forward and then, you know, I'll be with my family and, and someone will yell something at us, uh, you know, uh, something obscene to us or go home or these things. I'm like, oh, go home, really? Like, you know, these are, uh, you know, these are things, you know, my kids are facing, I faced, my parents faced, you know, as being immigrants in the 60s. Uh, and so I wonder, wow, will this cycle ever really end? You know, but yeah. um, on the other hand, uh, yeah, I'm also I'm also very hopeful. Um, and for every sort of situation like uh, like I just mentioned to you about needing to prove myself to a client, you know, there has been times where there have been times where I've walked into a client, and uh, whether this is appropriate to say or not, they they would say to me. I, I remember one, you know, specifically I was at a project in Minnesota, and I walked in. And, um, <laughs> and, and the, the lead came to me and pulled me aside. He said, oh, I'm so glad we get to work with a sick. I've never, you know, <laughs> I've had such good experiences working with you all before. And, you know, I, this is so exciting. I can't wait. And again, I, I was like, well, that's pretty awkward. But, but it, was, it was one of those things where I was like, you know, somebody before me, you know, did that proving, you know, <laughs> somebody yeah. before me did the hard work to prove themselves. And now, you know, anybody they work with after that, you know, will feel more comfortable. So, um, and so if I have to be that person to make it, you know, easier for the next person, the next uh, person with a turban walking in or the next, you know, woman with a hijab work, walking in or yeah. a yarmulke, whatever it is, you know, uh, if, 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 that, if I'm in this position or place to, to start breaking some stereotypes and challenging people's biases, I'll do it. I was, I was in France a few years ago. Uh, on behalf of Salesforce, where I was working at the time, just to that point, um, the, the French have very rigid gender roles and I don't, I never have like, you know, me, I will show up in like men's clothing and like a cowboy hat or whatever. Right. And I, I, I'm pretty open about the fact that I've studied Russian for a few years, but I also prior to that studied French. Yeah. Uh, and so like, there was this whole conversation happening in 
bench next to me. And they were like, is that a man or a woman? Oh. I, I'm not, but tie and hat, but, but like, you know, they were saying all the things and I'm just like quietly sitting <laughs> quietly there, <listening>. like <laughs> waiting for them to figure out like how they're going to address me in French. Um, Please tell me you said something. I know. I, I actually just looked at them and I said, both, neither. Uh, and they, they were like, oh, you know, like and I said it in English oh. and they were like, it, you know, it's one of those moments. It was like that star Wars moment where it's like, you know, yeah. Greedo's like, and he responds in English, you know, like right, right. same thing. They, they were like, Oh my God, they understood every single word I just said. Um, oh, that's great. Do you feel relaxed in your business now? Because I was reflecting also, like, now it matters is the first place where I have finally started feeling relaxed because we are trying very hard to cultivate a culture where people don't have to prove themselves for who they are before they show up. We're just like, okay, here you are. Here's the stuff that works. Here's the stuff that we need to work with and we'll move forward. But do you feel relaxed now having your own, having your own? Yeah. Well, thank you for that question. It's, um, I didn't for a while, um, because mm. I was, I was venturing out on this idea. Uh, you know, I, I was sort of at that inflection point where, where I had the opportunity potentially, you know, I was working at round corner previously, which was, has been acquired by Salesforce. And so there was a part of me thought, you know, I, I could go that route. Um, but at the same time, I, I have some different ideas, uh, different ways that I, that I want to approach the business different ways that I want to approach things and different ways I want to solve problems. Um, and, uh, and, and so it was a bit of a risk. And so I, I was definitely a little nerve wracking um, to kind of start off on my own. Um, and I was really basing it off of this simple idea uh, that if I, if I do things honestly and I try to do things as ethical as I can and I try to be transparent will this work <laughs> mm. and will it resonate with people? And, and that was the, the fear that I had that, you know, maybe this wasn't going to resonate with people. Maybe I, maybe I couldn't hire people, you know, I, I, maybe I'd have trouble hiring people or bringing contractors on who didn't really think the way I thought. So I think those, all those things made me very worried. But what I've learned um, in, in, in doing this work over the past few years with one tenth is it really does resonate with people. Um, there are plenty of nonprofits out there looking for different ways to solve problems. They're not looking for the Accenture or the Deloitte models of solving problems. Yeah, uh, you know they they want you know, right. and, and they want people to listen to them, to understand them, to understand their culture, to understand the way they work, to understand their people, and help to whatever extent they can to adjust some of the model to fit for them. And and that's the way I like to approach things. And and um, I don't come in with eighty six slides about this is the way we do things. Um, and so it, it was unconventional. I've never seen it. So it, I think it worried me to, to, to know that, that this may not resonate with, with folks. They're, they're looking for mm. something, mm -hmm. the tried and true methodology. And, um, but but, it, but what, what I've seen is there, there's, there is an appetite for this. There's an interest in this type of uh, unconventional way of doing, doing work together. And, and knowing that brings me a lot of peace. <laughs> it, it's allowed me to, to relax in a way that I haven't for years before. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm working just that. as hard, if not harder than I had, you know, previously, but there's something different about it. You know, there's, there's something different about it that, that keeps me motivated. I, I, I mean, when I started Now It Matters, mm. um, I felt like everyone was watching me. Um, 
and you know and they not only weren't they but like i i had a hard time getting anyone to watch me but i still felt like they were all watching me so i just found that really unnerving like you know what are what are people thinking or or seeing or saying um and um over time what i found and i'm curious if this is what you found as well and it was not like a long amount of time it was relatively short amount of time people kept confirming over and over that integrity and authenticity was exactly in the center of what people were most wanting Mm -hmm. and that that was its own competitive advantage if you walked in and you were open and honest about what you thought the problem was what you could do to fix it and where you were like yeah i don't know about that yet i'm gonna have to look into it um and didn't have all the answers to begin with uh I just found that that works so much better. Um, yeah. Yeah. 100% Tim. And, and, you know, when I started off early on, my friends would ask me, oh, you know, what's your pipeline look like? And I'm like, well, I got nothing after next month. And I said, are you sure about this, Ruben? You know, you got, you know, you got teenagers, you know, college is coming soon. You got mortgage. And I, and I don't know what it was. I just said integrity and authenticity. I'm putting my money on that. And, and I'm, I'm yeah. hoping that uh, I just, I'm convinced that if I stick, stick that out, um, then, um, that the business will come. And, and uh, thankfully that's, that's been the case. And it seems the same way for, for you. <laughs> that's well, great. and, and I'll also say that, you know, as an economist, one of the things I looked at early on um, and, and I think it's still true, uh, maybe even more true these days is that the means of production in this world is actually subject matter experts. Mm. Like that is, it is not, it, it is not just about finding clients. It is also yeah. about finding experts who know this space and know this industry and they are looking specifically they're looking for authenticity integrity and culture when they're making decisions and they will choose less salary for more authenticity and integrity um and so yeah i'm curious if you find that as well i definitely have found that but yeah yeah absolutely and you know there's been times where uh I've worked with organizations to do an assessment for them. And, and, you know, we finish the assessment and I say, okay, well, here's your roadmap. Here's my recommendation. I'm happy to now introduce you to some of the big partners out there. And they say, well, no, 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 we, we, we want you, you know, and I'm like pushing back and I can't, I can't handle this project. I don't have the staff. I don't have the team. And they say, well, figure it out, you know, because, you know, we, we, we trust you and, um, and make it happen, make it work. Uh, so, so, so I think it, to, to your That's point, amazing. when they yeah. find someone that they can trust, you know, they, they don't want to let go. And I, I don't blame it. I do the same. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, uh, yeah, I just, I'll, I'll underline everything you said there um, on that. I, um, I'm curious what you think, given change management, where you're headed with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and having worked with, you know, Salesforce platform, um, in multiple roles in multiple organizations, and now as your as your own, um, I want I don't know how to get into the conversation about this, so I'll just say that right now. But I'm increasingly worried about the shift towards organizational digital capacity transformation, you know, whatever that bucket is or looks like, and and change management goes in there, strategy goes in there, but it's an interconnected bucket, right? Um, in, in that bucket and the shift towards that, I feel strongly that it is important that the digital platforms themselves 
not be the ones funding the marketing and funding the strategy behind that. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't mean in any way to say that they would be bad actors. It's just that the economics would mean they're going to point the strategy towards their tools only. And why wouldn't they? They're, that's yeah. their brand, that's what they're trying to do. Um, do you see that same risk? Do you, <laughs> like, do you encounter that? Do you talk with organizations about that? And you know, um, are you a multi-platform service provider? Are you Salesforce only? You know, what's the future of that? So yeah. like there's nine questions and I don't even know. <laughs> no, all, all makes sense. I'm, we're, we're on the same page. Um, it's funny because at my last role at, uh, you know, Round Corner, um, I, I had brought up the exact type of issues here that you brought up. I, I said, well, you know, we need to look at, we need to stop looking at things as, as sort of siloed solutions and we need to look at digital transformation as a whole. And, you know, the, the great folks at Round Corner said, Ruben, this is great. You know, you are now the vice president of digital transformation. <laughs> and that was the last, last, last uh, uh, title I held at Round Corner. And, uh, and, and there I was. I, I went out and I talked to some, some of our largest clients, our largest nonprofits and, and other potential prospects. And I did surveys and analysis. And, and I found that that practice didn't take off because I think they were saying, well, who are you as the, the digital transformation expert representing a product company? Mm. Like, how do we know we're getting the, the right thing? And, and they were right, uh, in at least, you know, what, what I realized. Um, and, and when, um, you know, I, I ventured off and, and started 110, that was something very particular that I, um, uh, although a lot of our work is, is uh, through Salesforce, we are a Salesforce partner, but we are technically product agnostic. Um, and uh, even in cases where we do bring Salesforce to the table, we won't necessarily bring Marketing Cloud to the table. We won't necessarily bring, you know, all the other products that's, that sur surround it. Um, and that's been very liberating uh, because it, it allows me to be, again, going back to the integrity and authenticity, really looking at the best solution. Um, and, and oftentimes just on a call with a client last week who had Salesforce in place and said, um, you know, uh, so how can we make Salesforce work for us? And when they described to me their, their, their whole situation, I said, who told you to go on Salesforce? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and they were I, like, Salesforce did. <laughs> this is not, it's not a public uh, video is a uh, podcast, is it? No, I'm just <laughs> so, no, um, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, uh, so, so, but yeah, I, I think I, I'd be doing a disservice to take people down a certain path if, if it wasn't for them. Um, and Salesforce stands behind that too. You know, they, they don't want the, the wrong, the wrong fit for their product yeah. as well. So, um, that's right. yeah, yeah. So, so I think, uh, yeah, that's, that's what allowed us to be product agnostic, uh, and even when it is a Salesforce or, you know, it, 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 all of the sort of complementary products don't necessarily need to be the ones that surround it. Um, and that has been really nice because, um, you know, it, it's, it's really allowed us to kind of look at the ecosystem more broadly and, and say, okay, you know, what's, what is it that we need to solve it? You know, let's, and knowing all the different products that are out there, bringing in people from other teams, if necessary, other vendors, if necessary. Um, I know I feel better at the end of the day, giving them all the options and, and, and the pluses and minuses. Um, and, and so, so yes, I, I think unless we do that, uh, and it, it's going to be very important. Otherwise, like you said, the product is really going to be driving digital transformation and that in itself has limitations. Yeah, absolutely. What we've, um, what we've stumbled into that I think has been revolutionary for us has been um, <laughs> the best the best car is the one you're driving. <laughs> and so, you know, um, what we're finding more and more is that even if your 
technology is wrong sized, mm -hmm. that, you know, like that doesn't mean that your next move is to right size it. That is the, you know, of yeah. all the, of all the changes that you're looking for, you know, some that are on the tech stack and a lot of that are on the human stack of those, the human stack ones can happen in any platform right. immediately and first, and probably you can create more capacity by doing that. Mm -hmm. And that, that has opened up a completely new world of like, yeah, maybe you don't move off of this, or maybe that's 18 months from now, yeah. or maybe that's six months from now. And in the next six months, we align your team on how you solicit complaints and address those in an existing system and start patterning out some of this. Um, and I, I, I am convinced that unless we had, unless we had started down a, you know, more systems are better, to use yeah. Tracy's example, more choice is better. Um, I don't think that we could have gotten to a place where we saw that. Um, and you know, I, I think that that just is an important feature that I don't think tech companies are going to latch onto quickly because a lot of their market move is market share and pulling, you know, pulling customers off of existing platforms. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. And you know, I and it, it was also important to me. I didn't I, where I decided I really didn't want to work directly for a product company. Most of my career has been with product companies, and. Um, you know, because oftentimes I walk into uh, clients and they, they come to me and say, hey, we need to move off of Razor's Edge. And I go in, I spend, uh, you know, a few days looking at everything that's going on, understanding their processes. And I walk out of there thinking the technology is the least of their problems. <laughs> you know, they have these archaic processes that, that some, you know, three or four different development officers years ago put in place. Nobody has questioned, nobody understands what they're doing. Nothing's talking to each other. Like the last thing we need to do is, is, switch up the technology um so you know and and maybe we do eventually but they're not anywhere near that um and you know if they're getting their guidance from product companies it's like oh we'll just switch over from razor's edge to this yep, absolutely yep. So, yeah. absolutely <laughs> and, right. um in that scenario i remember just seeing feeling like so often like <laughs> it's weird you're gonna get funding for a you know six digit funding to move and have the exact same product problems. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so, and, you know, and sure enough, and you couldn't get a fourth of that funding mm -hmm. to deal with the real issues right now. Absolutely. Like you don't have it, like they don't have the political capital for that. There isn't the market mindset for that. They don't even have the imagination for that. And so, you know, this, the system doesn't work. It's so prevalent in yeah. the cultural dynamics of what's wrong that you can't move past it. And it reminds me of a, an SNL skit I saw just a little while ago with Adam Sandler who talks about, he's like this, this um, travel agent who's telling people if you're unhappy at home, you'll be unhappy in Italy. And it just was like, <laughs> it just rang so true to me. I'm like, oh yeah, that is so perfect. So, anyway. Speaking as someone who's going to probably be going to Italy very soon, <laughs> I, I'm going to be very happy. In <laughs> oh my gosh. I have to send you the link to that. Cause it, 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 that's I've great. never seen it. My student <laughs> just blew my mind. It's hilarious. Anyway, oh, that's yeah. hilarious. Well, yeah, you know, I, I mean, Ruben, to, to sort of pick up on one thing, like what's really interesting to me, um, everybody, you know, one of the pieces of like back channel blowback I've gotten, you know, personally has been like, you know, why are you trying to destroy Salesforce? And I'm like, I'm not, I never will. <laughs> because it's part of what I consider to be choice mm -hmm. for nonprofits. Now, what's fascinating to me is I think the world around some of these large tech platforms 
Salesforce included, um, but also, you know, Microsoft, also some of the big servicing ones and some of the upcoming folks, they're all actually kind of getting the idea that choice for nonprofits is a good thing. But now what's interesting to me is we all have to have a discussion about the definition of choice, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that oh, like kind intra- of intra platform choice, like, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I, and, you know, so like now this is where the nuance comes in because mm-hmm. like, I will say choices when my data is free. And they're like, well, your data is free on our system. And I'm like, and how does that relate to the other guy's systems? And they're like, we don't consider that. We consider, you know, and I'm like, well, okay. So what we're talking about here is the definition now of choice. So, you know, I feel like, you know, as someone who has spent my whole career trying to broaden things mm-hmm. it's just a really funny like landing place that now we've gotten to a broader place but now we have to talk about the definition of the original term other like you know? yeah and and i and, and this is why i'm excited and, and hoping to see more of uh, other players in this space um you know as yeah. i see more and more organizations moving off of um, you know, the older legacy systems like the NGO connects or, or even, uh, you know, t- just honestly with the razor's edge and blackboard products, um, uh, you know, and, and a lot of focus on Salesforce and the, and the nonprofit cloud. Um, I'll say that I'm really excited to, to see uh, where Microsoft is playing in this space. Now um, I'm getting a lot more questions about it. Um, I like everything that I'm seeing, you know, from, from my vantage point about the direction they're going, the, the motivations that they have, the partners that are involved, the resources that they have. And so I, I hope this does kind of shake up or, or shift uh, what what conventional wisdom is right now, um, and, and maybe open up, you know, to your point, uh, uh, some more conversations on choice that we're not really having right now. Well, and to, I, I agree with that um, all, and including that we need better discussions about functions of technology mm-hmm. because yeah. what you do with the staff layer, layer around data, you know may actually be fine if you if you're if you've got five chapters and two of them are in one system and two are in another system and one's in a third like trying to get nancy in those systems to start using a different system is so (laughs) much less effective than piping the data into a bi tool and aggregating it there right and and it's just invisible to the market like that that idea is so invisible because we don't make a distinction between behavior at staff layer as the hardest thing to change, yep. you know? And so we change all of the Everything humans else. over to a new system and, and, and ignore data portability, you know? Yep. Um, so anyway, there's my soapbox. Um, nope, 100% agree. So, agree. No, but I mean, you know, and then here in again, Tim, right? Like, you know, what's the definition of portability, right? <laughs> and I've, I'm starting to say like, look, it's not adequate to just say we integrate to shit. We have to have models for data analysis that are common. And there's two halves to that, right? There's, There's the half that enables nonprofits to literally work. That's the half that I'm most interested in, right? And that's where some of the nonprofit common data model comes into play. Because- you know, let's put forward this idea that like in 2026, there'll be a new catastrophe. 
of some nature that's going to force six different global nonprofits to work together in new ways, what's the first discussion do you want to have? Do you want to have that discussion of like, let me get my dev team and your dev team together and let's start integrating this stuff? Or do you want to have that discussion of like, we're all working with a relativistically similar enough framework that what needs to get quote unquote integrated can actually be normalized in the data analysis. So let's start one step further down and save some time because it's like, you know, I wrote an article for N10 last year where it was like for a long time, the, uh, what, what feels to me is like, great. My phone's on T-Mobile. I can only call folks on T-Mobile. (laughs) You know, I have Evernote on my iPhone, but it won't integrate to Evernote on my like Mac because it's a different thing. And that's like the absurdity that it engenders. And, and I have to say like, Ruben, do you see that in your work or am I just like doing one of those like Tracy things where it's like, I scream about something until like Tracy (laughs) goes away or gets tired or something. Yeah, I, I no, I definitely see it, and and it's it's so it's so funny because when I speak with you know my my clients and they say, hey, you know, tell us about you know, do you know anything about this product that that you know, let's say implements you know, with with Salesforce that that we that integrates with Salesforce? Have you heard anything about it? I don't know, I haven't heard anything about it. Well, we talked to the sales rep, and they said it integrates. It integrates with Salesforce, <laughs> and and so that's where I kind of raise raise my hand and say, well, wait a second, like integration can mean anything. Like it it can yeah. mean it's a five minute plug and play, or it can be a, you know, six month, you know, API uh, integration that we need to build all kinds of, you know, get a middleware tool in between. And they, they all fall under that title of integration. Um, so so I, I think that's something I, I've definitely come across and, and have really tried to educate the organizations I work with, like all integrations aren't equal. Um, and, and some organizations I've worked with and, and, and those who sort of proclaim to have this tight integration with Salesforce, it's just terrible. It's, it's just absolutely oh, yeah. terrible. You you turn on their syncs and it's just, they just shove a bunch of information into a custom object in Salesforce. And then you're on your own. <laughs> you're exactly. on your own to yeah, build whatever there. you have to. So, and they, they present it like it's a feature. Oh, you can do whatever you want <laughs> yeah. with it after that. Like, oh, that's exactly. great. I want to do the obvious thing. Can it do that? Exactly. Well, only if you want to and hire someone to get it to do the obvious thing. Well, exactly. and that's it. So something like the common data model as an entity, like as a literal entity puts bumpers on that. Yeah. Right. And that's what I think is getting lost in all of this is that like there are people who are going to do business and, and, you know, let's take this a step away from Salesforce because it's not really a Salesforce problem. It's an ecosystem wide and an industry wide problem. Absolutely. You know, there are people who are going to do business in a very sort of like dot the I cross the T fashion. And then there are people who are going to show up as their competitors who are going to use all the same words as the people who dot the I's and cross the T's, but they will do something like you both just described where it's like, my integration is I will shotgun this into a single table. Good grief. Even in dynamics, like every CRM or or ERP suffers from the same problem. And that is if you shoot, if you shoot something into a single table, that doesn't qualify as an integration. It qualifies as congratulations. You've created a CSV inside of a CRM or an ERP, you know? And, and from that lens, I'm like, why don't I just have it play with like my custom build of Joomla on my server rack in an air conditioned room in the basement? 
-hmm. you know, for all the utility that it brings. So yeah, it's, it's funny, like, and, and, you know, to take it all the way back, like we, here's where I connected to equity and, Mm -hmm. and Ruben, I would love your, your sort of, you know, bullshit meter on this for lack of a better term, but like, we need to start thinking about the impact economy equitably. And what that means is analyzing massive inflows and outflows of money and analyzing massive inflows and outflows of efficiency, regardless of the tool sets that folks are, are using because those tool sets are what are creating those inflows and outflows in the first place. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think, you know, what we're all reaching for is that idea of we connect human transformation to tech transformation, and there's work to be done on both sides. The human transformation is about how we all show up, and the tech transformation is how the tech eliminates these aggregate inefficiencies, not platform specific or application specific or integration specific inefficiencies. Hmm. Crazy? No, no, not at all. And I I don't know, maybe I would feel differently if I worked in some other industry. Um, But, you know, (laughs) yeah, if I worked in manufacturing, I'd be like, there is only one way. It is my way. Here's my manufacturing tool. You know, oh, it's so easy in other yeah, industries. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, maybe that's the way I would think. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I need to, you know, sleep peacefully at night knowing that I did the right thing for the nonprofits that I work with. And uh, so, so when these sort of uh, integrations or lack thereof introduce such inefficiencies, um, you know, it, to me that that is, and I know this is some of the things that we talked about during our tech equity work is, is you know are we creating more more problems um, in the long run for these organizations? Uh, are we creating inefficiencies? Uh, are we using the term integrations in such a way that that is actually not <laughs> uh, that is actually causing more problems? And 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 uh, you know so so I think um, you're 100 right in, in this, and and I think uh, you know there is a, a responsibility of, of folks like us you know to to kind of speak out when we see that and and encourage the vendors and encourage these organizations to to be more transparent. And and to build things that are that are more responsible than what we've seen. Yeah, Ruben, the language now at Matters has started using internally for the way you talk is stewards of the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And I I, I just want to like say um, it's been inspiring to watch you over time be one of those stewards of the ecosystem that looks past your own business and looks past just the profitability and past next two quarters and is actually saying like off in the distance, what's the vision here? Like where, where's this going? Um, and so thank you for being that kind of a partner in the ecosystem. Um, here, and here. to that, to that, to that degree or to that uh, extent, what is like, if you look into the future, what do you think is coming up? What do you think is next? What, you know, both for technology and for nonprofits? Hmm. Uh, well, well, thank you first uh, for, for that. And I would say the, 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 the same with, with both of you uh, being real stewards of the ecosystem for sure. So, um, and I think that that sort of leads me to my answer to your question. Um, I think we're, we're going to see collaboration in ways that we haven't seen before. Um, you know, and, and that's what, I, um, what I'm hoping, um, you know, and, and you kind of mentioned this, Tracy, a little bit as well as, 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 
as we uh, things unfold and we see what's what's gone with the pandemic and you know people you know organizations having to reinvent themselves or restructure i think uh, in order for us to solve the you know I, I study a lot about sort of the nonprofit space in itself outside of the technology and you know this whole collaborative impact and you know organizations working together rather than trying to reinvent the wheel and uh, you know I, I think we're going to see a lot of that on the nonprofit side um, organizations partnering more than they've ever had before uh, you know rather than creating new programs partnering with other organizations that have complementary programs. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing some of the big competitors in the technology space uh, finding ways to work together as well. Um, you know, common data model is, is is sort of one concept behind it, and maybe there's going to be other concepts like common data models that um, that has technology partners working together, sharing of information more, sharing of algorithms more, um, to 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 ultimately better uh, uh, better the, the missions that these organizations are fighting for together. Um, yeah, I, I think I think we're seeing, like I said, we're seeing it in the nonprofit space, sharing of data uh, in ways that they haven't before. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing the technology partners follow suit. Interesting. I I love that. Um, we we've been talking about the need for um, this ecosystem to have two rooms: one in which you compete and one in which you collaborate. Um, mm -hmm. And and that that tracks if you're looking at a profitability and impact double bottom line yeah. um, and and as an economist I, I feel like you actually that's always been happening it's just becoming more direct and technology is allowing it to become a lot more fluid um, yep. and so that's a that's a really interesting what's your, what do you think the timeline is on that is that like a decade <laughs> is that like you know two years what what do you think you know I I, I think uh, You're breaking up Tim oh yeah no, I caught, I caught that question though. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I don't know is a simple answer. I mean, I, I think we're seeing glimpses. I, I see glimpses of it now. You know, it's even even in my small world in which I live in, you know, with, with uh, you know, uh, technology partners, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll compete against an organization. You've probably seen this too. You're, you're competing in an or with an organization next week, one week or the next, the next week, they want to work with each other. The, uh, the third week, they're referring something to you. Fourth week, you refer something to them, you know, it, and so I see these little glimpses of, of this, uh, you know, I, I, my only uh, view here is in the nonprofit sector. Maybe it's different than others, but um, you know, and maybe the nonprofit sector might be one of the first movers in the space of, of, of more collaborative work. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I hope sooner rather than later. Um, but but I, I'm comforted by seeing some glimpses of that uh, that now and in, in even the small world I live in. <laughs> well, thanks for thanks for your time. Thanks for your thoughts. Uh, you make the world better. You've been a chronic volunteer for. <laughs> You know, it sounds like your whole life. Um, please keep it up. And I wouldn't uh, we're, say chronic. We're chronic goal. has the wrong implication. Yeah. What is what? Oh, cereal. Cereal. Oh, cereal. Yeah. 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 Uh, but 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 thank you both. I really appreciate everything that you're doing here with Now It Matters and, and not only the work that you do every day, but, uh, you know, the podcast. Uh, I've learned a lot from it. And, uh, you know, thank you for all you do. And, and thanks for having me. I'm really excited for the next time you and I get to work together, Ribbon. Thank Absolutely. you. Likewise. I'm Tim Lockie. I'm Tracy Kronzak, and you've been listening to Why It Matters. Why It Matters is a thought leadership project of Now It Matters, a strategic services firm offering advising and guiding to nonprofit and social impact organizations. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, check out our playlists, and visit us at nowitmatters.com to learn more about us.